You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. You know that. And you probably know today's guest, Mark Drury. They call him the mad scientist of big bucks because he is very analytical in his approach to observing deer and calculating their moves and the strategy that he uses to kill uh, a target buck every year. So this is an absolutely great BS session. Now, we don't necessarily get into a ton of strategy because there's so much content out there of Mark talking specific strategy that I thought it would be a good idea to just BS with him a little bit and talk about growing up in Missouri and talk about uh, his evolution as a hunter and where he is in his hunting career today and things like that now we do we get, we do get into a little bit of strategy and uh you know things like that but i think this is just like two guys who really appreciate the outdoors and really appreciate hunting and a conversation between them right so me and mark we just kind of sit there and we bs for about an hour so hopefully you guys enjoy that i'm not going to get too deep into the the intro here really good episode but before we get into today's episode, I'm going to pay the bills. And so if you guys are looking for a saddle, you need to go check out Tethered. Tethered is one of those companies that the the people behind the product are very passionate about hunting. And so they've designed this saddle to the point where they feel it benefits every hunter. You can use it as a tool, right? They're not going to sit here and say that tree stand hunting or, or sad, saddle hunting is one is better than the other. They say that saddles have their place as a tool to get close to deer or whatever animal you're hunting, and it should be used as such, right? And I can't, I can't help but agree with that. There, there is a tool for every scenario, and that's why I love partnering uh, with uh, Tethered because they're very serious about what they do. Now, I am no saddle expert. I am in the process of learning how to use a saddle. I'm learning how to shoot it, and for the most part, the time that has been spent in a saddle has been very comfortable 
And uh, the shots that I've taken don't seem too terribly bad, right? Uh, obviously, there's a lot of practice that has to happen between now and the beginning of the season. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, getting uh, efficient with a saddle. So go check out Tethered. Lots of content on their website about how to properly, pro- properly use that. Then we have Wasp Archery. Dude, absolutely love Wasp Archery. I had a guy... Uh, just recently reach out to me and tell me, hey, Dan, uh, I just want to say that hearing you talk about wasp uh, has led me to go switch broadheads and uh, I killed a couple deer with them and they destroy. And I'm very confident in, in those broadheads now that they work and that they do destroy anything they hit and they leave great blood trails and all that other stuff, right? And so it's another example of wasp the 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 material the design actually doing its job someone getting confident with that equipment and then you know i don't know and, and going out and, and killing something right and, and stacking a body right and so i know that's not the the a proper term or a, a pc term but that's exactly what wasps design is designed to do and it's to destroy anything they hit massive amounts of blood loss leads to a dead animal and that's why i have uh, a wasp on the end of my arrow absolutely love it tons of deer wasparchery.com and i thought i had a di- yeah nfc20 for 20% off i'm a huge fan of the jackhammer and the in the boss four blade hunt stand is I just don't even know, man. Last night I was on hunt stand for about 45 minutes, just cruising a couple states that I'm gonna I'm gonna go hunt out of state in a couple states this year, and I've just was cruising public land, satellite imagery, uh, you know, topography lines, like looking for access routes, looking for campgrounds, looking for uh, parking spots, looking for specific act. Um, uh, what was I looking for? I was looking specifically for food sources on private ground, but the deer could potentially be betting on public ground and how to get in between there somehow. So I was looking at things like that. So um, just uh, an, that's just a very small example of what Hunt Stand can do. If you want to find out more information about Hunt Stand, go visit HuntStand.com. And if you do decide to download, you can download for free. But if you want to upgrade to their $30 a year package, which is already very affordable, you can get 20 an additional 20 percent off by entering the discount code sn20 and then lastly we have vortex optics man uh, like we are just we just finished up vortex week so if you haven't had the opportunity to go back and listen to i did three episodes one with mark boardman one with uh eric barber one with sawyer brill and then i did a hunting gear podcast with ryan muckenhern all vortex employees all stellar guys all very knowledgeable about their brand and why they're passionate and and what passionate about the outdoors but passion that kind of passion leads to vortex right so it's the people behind an an already good product they have the vip warranty that all they care about is the end user and that's why i love working with uh, uh vortex is because just like all the other companies that i've already mentioned it is a they're participants in the outdoors and when you're a participant in the outdoors your product just like you just have a better feeling about it. And I'm confident with all those brands. I'm, I, I really love Vortex and the people behind it. And that's why I uh, I keep going back to them. So if you want to uh, go check out a really good optics company, rifle scopes, spotting scopes, um, range finders, binoculars, vortexoptics.com. All right. Got to shut my air conditioner off there. If you guys have any questions, hit me up on Instagram. Make sure you guys follow along on the Nine Finger Chronicles on Instagram. Go to iTunes or wherever you download the podcast. Leave a five-star review. And let's get into today's episode with Mark Drury. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Mark Drury. Mark, what's up, man? How you doing, Dan? Good to talk to you. It's, uh, it's that velvet time, my friend. I'm get I'm starting to get the itch, but I'm a little behind on trail cameras. I'm behind as well, but I usually don't put them out till another couple three weeks. I like to stay out of their way till they kind of finish out, and 
you know, somewhere in early August, they start to look like they're going to look or really yeah. by mid July. Yeah. So I just stay out of their way till then. And then, then we start monitoring extremely heavily. Yeah. I don't know. I, so I got three kids and so I've already scheduled quote unquote trail camera day three times in June and trail camera day had to be put on the back burner. So here it is July already. And I still haven't done trail camera day. And so I, <laughs> I just got to find a time and just go and do it. Like peel the bandaid and, and just go do it. You know, trail camera day sounds a lot more appealing than trail camera week for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It yeah. takes us about a week to put them all out with as far as we're spread out. But, uh, it's it sure is fun to see those results, and I, I know you have to enjoy it with your children because yeah. that in, instills them early on what it takes to kill a deer, and it also includes them in the process. And I, I think that's wonderful that you're going to include them because then they want to see the results with you, which is so cool. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, let's see here. Out of just just out of curiosity, how many states do you think you're going to be hunting this year? Um. I myself am going to hunt South Dakota, Missouri, Iowa, Kansas, Texas. So five, five, five. Okay. And, uh, you're on the road a lot. Uh, you know, we used to be on the road a good bit, but my farms are just across the border into Missouri and just across the border into Iowa. So I live in West Des Moines. And I can be to either Missouri or Iowa within an hour during the season. Of course, I stay there on the farm, and then I'm I'm 30 minutes from either state. So it, that's a, uh, that's a win. It it is a win because it allows me to stay in that bed, you know, throughout the the majority of the season. And there's there's something to there's some value to stay sleeping in your own bed once that grind starts. Because once we start September the first, I mean, we don't stop till January the 15th. So yeah. It uh you really cherish those nights that you're you're at home and between tags that we have, myself, Wade Perry, Taylor, Josh, Carson, plus our guests, and then the two different state seasons, the bulk of the season gets eaten up there between Missouri and Iowa. So I'm I'm sleeping in that bed just about every night and I'll take a trip to South Dakota and I'll I'll take a trip to, to Kansas and I'll take a trip to Texas, but that's usually four or five days. Uh, in each of those three states, the rest of it, I'll, I'll be in, in my own bed. Yeah. Have you had a, a season recently or in the past years where everything clicked, everything went right. And you actually had additional time to say, geez, if I wanted to, I could go hunt another state that has over the counter tags or, or go do like add to your schedule. Um, I think you could probably fit that in any season, but I really target guests and the ability to take people throughout the season so that I can hunt my own home turf. The, the more I do it, the more not only do I enjoy staying in my own bed, but I enjoy hunting my own dirt, my own farm. So yeah. um, I own several acres in Iowa and Missouri, and it's it's just fun going through the process. And it doesn't matter if I'm hunting or filming, it's you're still there and you're going going through the process and, and enjoying the hunt. So we, we really just have a blast staying home the bulk of the season and it allows us to learn our farms better hunt specific target deer and um i I just think the overall um feeling is is better amongst myself and everybody else because like i said it's it's a long grind you know it's it's over four months and uh, it's day in and day out seven days a week and we i'll bet you we average 12 to 14 hours a day seven days a week so you know it's it's nice to be able to to not have as much travel because of the schedule yeah that's a fact keep it close yeah, absolutely. All right, so real quick, this uh, this deer cast thing that you guys have, have come up with, give me uh, give me some high level. What is deer cast? Yeah, you know, we came out with deer cast about five years ago, and it's a predictive model that really helps you understand the whitetail phases, the thirteen phases of the season, and then on a daily basis, hour by hour, in your neck of the woods, in your location, it will tell you how the deer are moving. Uh, it's an extremely accurate predictive model uh, that takes th- 13 different weather variables across 13 different phases and gives you that prediction. And we've had that out four or five years. We've also got deer cast track to where it, it helps you track your deer. And now we've added maps, but we we are not like enough, uh, the other map 
uh, companies out there because we're so focused in on the whitetail deer hunter. We put tools in there specifically for the whitetail hunter. We have rain stations, so you can check how much uh, rain you get on your plots. We've got wind direction in, in, across 24 hours or five days, so you can see what direction the wind's blowing. Also, how big the cone is, how much area you might be affecting with your wind stream. We've got plots. We've got area. We've got distance. We've got radar. Um, it's it's really the most focused app um, and most useful app to whitetail hunters that there is out there. We say it's the greatest whitetail hunting app ever developed. So the predictive model, the tracking, and then all of those map features are all wrapped into one offering. And uh, rather than like take up more time within this podcast, we could just put the audio of all the different features at the tail end of it. Terry and I break it down pretty concisely. It's like 10 or 12 minutes. Uh, we'll just stick that at the end. And anybody that's interested in what we did and how we focused in on the whitetail deer hunter, we'll add that audio to the end of this podcast. And I, I think you'll see we're uh, we're trying to do everything we can to help people optimize their time and then be a better hunter when they're out there and have a better experience. Yeah. And, and also, I'm going to be talking with Matt on the Hunting Gear podcast, just so everybody knows where I'll be asking a specific line of questioning, breaking down the functionality uh, for, you know, the whitetail hunter and, and how, I guess, how the app works. So be on the lookout for that as well. Awesome. So there's that. Now, I'm going to go all the way back. I want to go as far back as you can remember. Uh, first off, what year were you born? I was born in 1966. 1966. Okay. I'm 55 years old. In Missouri. I was born in Perryville, Missouri, um, because that's where the hospital was. But I grew up in Bloomsdale, Missouri, uh, about two or three miles from the Mississippi River. And our house was the last house at the end of the road. And everything behind our house all the way to the river was was solid timber. So I kind of grew up in the woods. Okay, so that kind of that leads me into this this question, this line of questioning. 1966 in Missouri, were you born into a hunting family? Um, no, in terms of the, the prototypical hunting family, my dad and I never spent a day in the woods until really, you know, we were well, well on the way with jury outdoors and he and mom came hunting with us. But I would have to say my mom, along with my uncles, Marvin and uncle Leroy really were my introductions to outdoors. Uh, also brother Terry, he was deer hunting at the same also. Um, but really uncle Marvin and uncle Leroy, they were big turkey hunters. And some of my earliest memories were being at grade school and Marvin and Leroy, and they were uncles on different sides of the family. They would come to school with their turkeys. And I was always so proud. I'm, I'm not kidding. You. It was like an event when somebody killed a wild turkey back then. And, um, you know, so call it the mid to late seventies. I was always so proud that it was my uncles bringing these turkeys in there and they'd pull feathers out and give them to the kids. It was a small Catholic school there in Bloomsdale, Missouri. And that, that really imprinted on me. And um, Leroy gave me my first turkey call. I hunted with Marvin and he was a, a large part of our video series for many, many years. Um, so couple that with my mom teaching me how to skin squirrels, skin rabbits. She was the one that would shuttle me to my turkey hunting spot before I could drive, drop me off at five o'clock in the morning or four thirty, and then come come pick me up when the Missouri season ended. So those those influences early on really did did affect me. And my my true passion was then and still is now wild wild turkeys were most known for whitetail deer. But I always say I love to turkey hunt and I like to deer hunt. Yeah. I mean turkey turkey's still my thing, man. I, I just I eat, sleep and breathe turkey hunting. Yeah, that's uh that's nuts. So you're how many years older older is terry than you he's 10 almost exactly he was born in september i was born in october so he's 10 years and one month older than me okay so like was there a like, 10 years is a, is a big gap between siblings right so my question is when he's when he's 10 and you're just born i mean he, maybe let's just bump it up to when he's 15 and, and you're five Where well got, not only that he and Willa got married when he was 18 and off to college. I'm eight years old. So I, I don't even know what's going on. And he was gone. So I always say, I didn't get to know Terry till I turned about 18 and I could go hang out and work with him and go to the bars with him. So, <laughs> but, 
that's when we met. So we were more like buddies than we were brothers. And it's still that way to this day. Like we're, we're close as we can be. And I think it's because of that age gap and we really weren't around each other all that much when when I was young and I was the youngest of five. There's uh, six years between me and my next sister. So uh, mom and dad were empty nesters with the exception of me. So there was a lot of time where it was just me and my mom and dad because I, I was the youngest of the, of the entire group. Right. So you're the baby, you said. Yes. Okay. Yep. So Terry's kind of out of the picture at this point uh, from the, you know, you, you mentioned you had from your house to the river was timber were i mean what were you got what was your childhood like i mean were you running around i know you mentioned your your uncles kind of had a, this turkey hunting impact but from an outdoors standpoint like my mom when i was younger was like get outside you know you're not in the house today you're going outside were you hanging out with your sisters at this point like talk to us a little bit about like what no, it, I, yeah go like ahead like i said by the, by the time i was 10 they were all gone you know they were all out of the house so um, I would see them often, but I lived alone with mom and dad. So I always said I'd, I'd get off the school bus, go in the top door, down the stairs where my room was, and out the back door, out the, the walkout basement, and into the woods. By and yourself? Was, yeah, 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 always. Yeah. yeah. What, so, were you, what were you doing there? Like Squirrel hunting a lot, okay. rabbit hunting, putting box traps out, reading every article I could in Outdoor Life, trying to learn more about the outdoors. And um, just just learning what was going on out there. I was fascinated with being in the woods. I, I always loved being in the woods. And additionally, Boy Scouts were a huge deal in yeah. our town. And I was a member of the Boy Scouts. And me and my, all my buddies, we all were scouts. So we had a lot of outdoor activity when, when it came to scouts. Campouts, summer camps, hiking out in the mountains of New Mexico. So I had a lot of outdoor experiences at a, at a very young age and, and learned a lot about shooting and, and, you know, archery, that type of stuff, those skill sets you learn through scouts. And uh, I stayed with it till I, I became an eagle. Me and all of my friends did. There were five of us went in the same day, and we all did it in the shortest amount of time. We did it in February of our eighth grade year. So that tells you how in tune we were with scouts and the outdoors. You said New Mexico. Did you go to Philmont? Yes, yeah. we did. Yeah. Yep. I was in Boy Scouts for uh, several years as well, and I, I tell you what, you're right. That actually had a huge impact on my life, and I didn't really realize that until I know a handful of years ago when I was like, I know that how to do this thing because of Boy Scouts. Absolutely, yeah, huge, huge influence, yeah. Yeah. huge influence. Just the connection to the outdoors and all the different things they teach you. And, it was just a, you know, the bonding with not only fellow scouts, but also our leaders. We had tremendous leadership and we were yeah. so lucky in that small community that all the, the gentlemen that were part of that scouting troop just made huge influences on, on me and all my buddies. Right, right. Okay, so as you start to get older, you know, you can start tagging along with, with people. Um, how old were you when you started tagging along with your uncles to go turkey hunting? Um, you know, Uncle Leroy took me out before the season a few different times where he would, you know, call them in for me to try and help me learn how to work them in. And I, I would have been like 15 or 16 then. Okay. Um, I had started deer hunting when I was 14 or 15 and I mean, it just consumed my ever thought. In fact, I, I played football the first three years of high school and then my senior year I dropped out just so I could hunt more. Yeah. Um, so and then on into college, same thing. I mean, went to a fraternity and all we did when we had spare time was hunted. I mean, that's, and honestly, the turkey calling contest really had a big major influence on me because I started, I called in my first contest when I was 15 because I thought to myself, I'm not very good at killing them. I need to get better. And if I'm going to get better, I need to get better at, at calling. So I had some mouth calls that I'd learned on and I had a buddy that had turned 16 and he took me to my first contest there in Jefferson County, Missouri, at the Conservation Club, and I just got hooked on that. And throughout my senior year and throughout college, man, I was calling somewhere every single weekend in the in the uh, off season. So January through call it March, I traveled all over the country yeah. and uh, called called competitively, had some decent success, and uh, ended up winning several world championships and 
it was state championships and I think I'd won like 20 shotguns in my life. And <laughs> so I was just, I was just hooked on all things outdoors. And I, I, I got into that Turkey call and I just got overwhelmed with it and just loved it. And to this day, some of my best friends are, are still from that Turkey calling circuit, the yeah. Steve Stoltz and Jeff Probst and um, Alex Rutledge, the guys that I met back then were still very, very close. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned you like deer hunting, but you love turkey hunting. Give me some specifics. Yes. What what about turkey hunting specifically just just fires you up? Just the calling and the and the response and and the constant chess match or really, you know, the constant moving around. Like with deer, you are essentially stationary most of the day. At least the way we hunt, we're stationary. So there's not much moving around and your game planning occurs during the summer, during the prep season with food plots and blinds and tree stands and access routes. I love the off season to get ready for deer season. And, and I love deer hunting. Don't get me wrong, especially if we're on a, a really good deer that that's, uh, you know, gets in your mind a little bit. I love the, the cat and mouse with that. But turkey hunting, you're active every single second of the day. You don't yeah. like the way they're acting. You go get on them and then you go get on another one and then you drive, you go have breakfast, you go back out. And it's, it's social back at camp. You're, you know, deer hunting, it's me and a camera person, turkey hunting. There's often four or five of us and everybody scatters out to go hide. And then one guy's shooting and we try to all experience every single hunt. So there's three or four guys in the background calling while one guy's filming, another one's hunting. And it's just, uh, you don't get that touchdown celebration with deer hunting like you do turkeys. When, that, when a turkey comes in and you kill them, they go down immediately. Everybody comes out and celebrates and high fives, and you get that end zone celebration, right? right. With, with deer hunting, you generally don't have that. So not until, uh, you know, it's immediate gratification versus delayed gratification. Right. And I'm just, you know, coming up with a few of the different uh, points about it, but I'm just infatuated with turkeys. It was, a, it was my first love, and it's, it's still my true love, and don't get me wrong. I mean, deer hunting is the reason we have a, a company and it's why we're in the outdoor industry, but my preference is to turkey hunt versus deer hunt. I'm yeah. glad they come at different times of the year. Yeah, that absolutely. Absolutely. Do you remember the first time you killed the turkey? Absolutely. I could walk you to the tree. I killed my first two sitting at the same tree on a, a farm my dad used to own up on Hoover Road in, in uh, Bloomsdale or just northwest of Bloomsdale. Were you by yourself or did you have a uh, company with you? I was by myself on both of them. Okay. Walk me through the first one. Uh, first one, heard some walking in the leaves, sat down at this tree, what I thought was walking and scratching. So I sat down and just started clucking and purring and yelping real softly. And uh, this gobbler come walking up over the hill and I shot him. I saw the big red head and killed him and uh, ran out there. And, and he was actually a Jake, which I, I it really didn't matter to me at the time. So I, I killed him. And then the second week of the season, I was like, there's got to be other birds back here. So I went back to that same oak, sat there and, and started yelping and got a turkey goblin. And he came walking in and strutting. And I, I shot him in about 20 yards. And he was just the most beautiful turkey. God, he was bronze phased. And I've not killed one since then. That was the only one I've ever killed that was bronze phased. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I, I Do you do you happen to have that tail or the, that beard hanging around your place somewhere? I do not. Shame on me. I should have had that bird mounted, but I didn't realize in the moment how rare he was i do yeah. now i wish i had him but I, I do not yeah yeah i have i in it's in a box and i don't i don't have it displayed right now but i have the first beard not the fan but just the first beard of the the first turkey that i ever shot and i don't know why i've been thinking about this lately but i got a wall of deer mounts you know and i got some some sheds which is crazy i could probably take you within six feet of every shed i've ever found Right, right on. And, and awesome. The deer heads and all that stuff in the house, and I, I sit back, and I, I just reflect for a moment, whether it's like thirty seconds or whether it's like a full cup of coffee. Right? Do you ever just like find your find yourself sitting back, looking at your mounts, looking at uh, some object that is important to you, and reflecting on your years spent outside? Certainly, every every hour of every day, I think you know. I mean, it's. Uh... It, it gets in your mind and it consumes you. Uh, if, if, you know, certainly a deer, as you pass by it, you get a great memory in that, that flashback to what that moment felt like. But my mind's just consumed with the next deer and the next plot and the next, you know, path, the next access path, you know, 
this morning I talked to Wade and Perry. I'm on vacation, by the way. I'm at Lake of the Ozarks, but I talked to Wade and Perry for an hour about this one particular set that we're going to put in. And it just, uh, it just consumes you. So it's, yeah. it's often, it consumes my thoughts. It's, it's quite a purpose to drive you through life. I know that much. Yeah. That's a fact, man. Uh, I, I tell my wife, there's, there's other things that I, I could be doing, you know, like I could go join a softball league or collect stamps or, or go to the bar every night. But instead I choose to obsess about an animal that grows horns out of its head. Right. And it, yeah. may, it may sound crazy to the lay person, but to guys like us, I, it just, I don't know. There's something real special about it. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, there's things you need to do. And there's other things you want to exactly. do. Right? <laughs> exactly. All right. So you get older, right? You, you said you started, um, you know, I think you said you started deer hunting at about 14, right? Talk to me about where, you know, obviously the, the, there's this passion with, with turkey hunting. Now it's, now it's, deer like how, when did deer hunting sink in to you and was it was it archery at first or did you did you take the more common path from from like gun to archery my first deer was with a rifle my second deer was with a bow the first deer with a rifle was a spike buck and i feel like i was probably 14 or 15 years old and then my second deer was a doe with a bow and uh, i killed both of those in that timber i was referring to i killed both of those within probably 300 yards of my house uh, that I, I lived in. Um, so, yeah, it, it was anything outdoors. It was trapping. It was hunting. It was skeet shooting. It was going to turkey shoots to compete on the weekends at the local bars. I mean, anything that was outdoor related, we did. And there wasn't much else that that took up our time. It was either turkey calling contests, meat shoots, or actually going out there and hunting. And, and in terms of when did the lights, you know, the light flip on? Well, our first five or six videos were all wild turkey. And we were working with a distributor out. And this, so we started Dre Outdoors in 1989. I would have been um, 23 at the time. Actually, we started filming in 88. So I was 22. And I called Cuz Strickland because I'd become friends with him on the, you know, turkey calling circuit. And I was like, Cuz, we're trying to do these um videos terry and i were partners on, on dre outdoors that's what i went to him and i said hey look this is denny gulvis he's calling all these turkeys in his tapes do really well what if we called them in and killed them you know because nobody was really doing that at the time primos was about the only one that was calling in and kill them i said but I, I need some money can you partner with me on it and he was like yeah absolutely and uh so we split that first vhs or svhs camera i think it was twenty two hundred fifty dollars if, if memory serves me so we just threw in <laughs> Half of that, we started a checking account, and we called that company D&D &D Outdoors. Our first checking account was called D&D &D Outdoors. And at the time, I had been picked up by Will Primos to call for Primos Wild Game Calls, and I, I called him and told him what we are doing, and he goes, don't, don't do that. That's a mistake, Mark. He goes, call it Drury Outdoors. Use your name. Yeah. So we got new checks, man. I was like, Will ought to know a thing or two about this. So... We did that and uh, called it Drury Outdoors. Cuz advised us which cameras to use. And uh, he also advised us who we needed to talk to to distribute these tapes. It was a gentleman by the name of Sheen Ray who owned Telemark and KB Marketing out of Oklahoma City. So I called Sheen and I said, we've made two tapes. One of them was called King of the Spring. One was called The Sound of Spring. I'd like to send them to you. And um, I sent them to him. And I wanted him to distribute them at that time. So you're trying to get distribution into the rental store, right? With the VHS tapes. So the little mom and pop rental store on every corner in every town back in 1989 through the late nineties. And, um, I sent him to Sheen. He looked at him. He called me back and he goes, these suck. I don't have any interest in them. <laughs> and he hung the phone up on me. And I mean, you talk about knock the wind out of your sails. Cause I thought they were awesome. Yeah. Um, so I called him back and I said, Mr. Ray, I, I just want to know why you hung up on me. And he goes, cause the videos aren't any good. I said, well, if you don't tell me what's wrong with them, how am I going to get better? He said, you just said the magic words, young man. How soon can you be in Oklahoma city? And I said, well, I'll, I'll drive down there if you want me to. I said, I want to get in the video business. So Terry and I drove down there 
he bought those first two videos on site once we met with him. And he told us that day, he goes, you've got to get out of Turkey and get into deer. And that, that imprinted on us. And we immediately started to do a deer tape. And that first deer tape was called Right Place, Right Time. And the second one we did was called Monster Bucks. And those two put us on, on the map in the deer industry. But by the time it took us several seasons to get them done. And in between that time, we had done four or five more, or three or four more turkey productions. And she, you know, took them all and sold them all. But Sheen Ray and, and KB Marketing and Telemark was what put Drury Outdoors on the map. He sold so many of those VHS tapes for us nationwide. Uh, it was it was unreal. But that's that's really what started us down the path where we actually had a had a following. Yeah. When was the last time that you went back and watched that first turkey tape or that first deer tape? Uh, I watched King of the Spring this past spring, a little bit of it, not all of it, but I, I watched excerpts of it and, and uh, he's right. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's funny. Cause I went back just for, you know, shits and giggles and I, and I was listening to like the first five episodes of the nine finger chronicles that I put out. And I'm just like, uh, how did people listen to this? Just like, I I don't know. I, I, uh, it sucked too. So, um, yeah, good thing we got better, huh? Well, yeah. I mean, it's that drive. It's that drive to be better. And, um, I'm so thankful. She kind of took us through those paces. Now, you know, she eventually got into us for, you know, quite a bit of money and didn't pay us at the tail end of, uh, of his company because he went bankrupt. But, uh, you know, we learned a lot of lessons from Sheen in those early days. So I'm still thankful we did, especially with distribution. You know, he, he, it was an interesting telemark was a, they would call, you know, they had to do all of this through telemarketing. They called all these different shops. Well, you can only imagine how many VHS rental stores there were across the country that carried outdoor videos. Yeah. And, uh, his wholesale staff, was we're sitting in a maximum uh, prison, maximum uh, penitentiary down in Oklahoma, and we, <laughs> we would we would go there every time we released a new video, and we would sit down with all of them, and you know tell them what's on the tape, and you know it was it was a eye opening experience to say the least. But uh, so that was their work release program. It was their work work program, yeah. But they were in the, they were in the penitentiary. Yes, <laughs> that's funny. Um, okay, so. I want to kind of get back to this timeline where, you know, okay, getting deer, we're, we're shooting deer, right? Like, but obviously everybody knows that big deer catch a little bit more attention. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about this, you know, your, your life where you started to absorb this knowledge about deer behavior and absorb how to get close to big deer and how to I guess be comfortable around them and what that transition from just getting any deer within range or or being comfortable with any deer to that next caliber of deer it it's certainly an evolution um and I think you know the the magazines that we would read the outdoor lives field and streams deer and deer hunting north american whitetail those are the ones that I paid most attention to North American hunting club. And I was just trying to read everything I could about whitetail deer hunting. And some of that information I found to be extremely helpful. While as others, it really didn't seem to like make sense when we were actually out there hunting. So Terry and I were both very analytical in our approach to everything in life. And that goes to turkey hunting and deer hunting as well. So we analyze the whys and the hows and, and the reason behind everything we do when it comes to deer hunting. So I would say from day one, we recognized different weather would have different effects on the deer. And and they didn't act the same in September as they do in January. They don't act the same in mid-October as they do mid-November. So that's one of the reasons we eventually evolved into the show 13 and evolved into deer cast we were like man w- when technology got us to the point that we could put this all into an app to help other people that's one of the reasons we did it and it's one of the reasons we did the television show 13 but it was a slow steady evolution from the time we killed our first buck till the time we each killed our first large deer and then you know to the point where 
we are over the last, I'd say, 15 years where we're focused on certain individual deer. And uh, that's that's all we're willing to shoot. I would say probably like 03, 04, we started targeting specific deer and specific deer only. So maybe that's like 19, 20 years ago, gotcha. 18, 19 years ago. Um, and, and a lot of that came from, you know, we realized we weren't doing it in St. John County, Missouri, where we grew up hunting. The, the resource didn't exist. So we moved across the, the river to Illinois and started hunting over there with, with some ground we leased, some stuff we had permission on, and, and a farm that Terry bought. And then I actually, in 97, bought my first piece of ground in Iowa. However, we started hunting deer in Iowa the first year they allowed uh, non-residents. That would have been 90 or 91. And uh, we were hunting around Honey Creek State Park and um, the... I'm trying to Rathbun Lake, all the core yep. ground around it. Yep. And there was, there was a park there that bordered the, um, the core ground. So we were, we were staying at the park and then hunting all the core ground around Rathbun Lake. So we learned a lot right there, just about funnels and deer movement and behavior. And, and we knew one thing was that Iowa deer were different, different yep. body size, different model than the ones we'd been hunting in St. Jen County, Missouri. And they, they moved different and moved it at uh, different times. Yeah. What about the, the comfort level now? Right. So it took me a while. Like, so I had, I went through this evolution too, where I, I could get myself in front of, or within shooting range of a, a really good caliber deer. Right. I started learning the, you know, the terrain, the access routes, all that stuff, but the deer shows up. Then I lose my shit. Right. And I messed up several times on mature whitetails within shooting range and i never got the opportunity to launch an arrow or i did launch an arrow and it was nowhere close to hitting the deer right so a lot of mistakes how what did it take for you to start being comfortable in those i guess you would call it that moment of truth on a on a higher end deer you know compared to like a a a two-year-old walking through the woods you know that excitement level is is why we're thinking about them every day of the year right. you know, for 365 days. And you want that moment again. And um, I don't know. There's always been this inner part of me that feared making a poor shot or an unethical shot to the point that I drove myself to make sure it was an ethical shot. Like I, I shoot a lot. And I make sure that I can handle that bow. And I, I've had my moments where I've screwed up because of adrenaline and, and you let the game speed up a little bit and it gets in front of you and you make really poor decisions when adrenaline's filled in your body. And and I think through time, it's part maturity, part experience, and part of just knowing what your responsibility is out there to make sure that you make a clean ethical shot. And um I don't know. I pride myself in it. And when I don't, I'm in a bad mood, man. (laughs) I mean, you just don't even want to be around me when I fail. I'm so mad at myself. I chew my butt out privately to myself and I don't like making bad shots because that's not what we're out there to do. So I think if anybody takes one thing away from this podcast, it's make sure you, you spend the time practicing to make sure you can make an ethical shot and then when the moment of truth comes, find out what you have to do in your mind to slow the game down. We're very good friends with Jim Tomey, you know, Hall of Fame, 612 home runs. And we met him 20 years ago while he was playing ball. He's a big deer hunter, eats, sleeps, and breathes it. And I hear his voice in my head, and I have since he first told me, he goes, got to slow the game down, bro. Slow it down. Got to slow it down. You know, think of 50,000 fans screaming, and you got a 96-mile-an-hour you know, heater coming at you and, and Jim's taking it oppo across, across the, you know, for a six, his 600 home runs. So, you know, he's, uh, he helped me in that in terms of slow the game down. You got to mentally get to that spot where you, you do not make mistakes because it, you're not out there. It's not a game. It's, you're trying to take an animal's life. Okay. So then for, for Mark Drury, where is your mind at right before, you know, the, the, the shooter shows up it's game time. Where is your mind at? Um, meaning I'm waiting to see him or I've already no, he, seen he him. He showed up. It's game. Like he's, oh, he's in the, he's in the food on, plot you know, or he's coming down the trail or whatever. It's game on and yeah. you're looking where he's going, not yeah. where he's at. Cause the moment you look where he's at, you're already out of the game. You better be anticipating 
what's about to happen. If you're not thinking ahead of his move, you're never going to get him killed. So I'm always thinking ahead. Where, where, where's my shooting lane? Do I have to open a blind window? Do I have to get in a better position? Cause he came in, you know, not where I expected. You got to think ahead and you got to think pretty quickly. And then, then you are talking to yourself, slow it down, slow it down, slow it down, aim in a sweet release and you'll get him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and do you talk to yourself at all? Are you, are you the guy who's yeah, like, through the, through the whole process, the other thing I'm calculating is what are the weather conditions? Is it calm right now? Is there no wind? Get ready. Cause you're going to have a reaction to that bow. Is there a decent wind speed? And, um, you could probably get by with a little extra noise cause he can't hear it. Is he in a, uh, a lethargic mood where he's eating very slowly or is he walking, you know, following a doe? You have to process all of those things and make decisions quickly um, you know, and if you, if you process a lot of the weather ahead of time, it'll help you and what mood a lot of the deer are in that day, it'll help you make better decisions when you see a shooter, but you better be prepared or you're, you're going to strike out every time. So you're calculating. I'm calculating every move, every yeah. move. even, gotcha. even when I'm sitting, even when I'm sitting there, yeah. we, we sit and communicate cameraman to hunter. Hey, okay. What about right here? What about here? Okay. The wind speed is this, Hey, it's, it's dropping off at about 4.30. It's going to be a lot more calm. Get ready. He's going to drop you a little bit. Like we go through all the variables so that when it happens, we're ready to kill. Yeah. Okay. I want to take... Also... All... Yeah, go ahead. Also distance. Also distance. There's a difference between shooting a deer at 15 yards, 20 yards, 25, 30, 35. There's different, differing levels of dropping based on the weather conditions. I sight my bow in two inches low at 20 three inches low at 30 and four inches low at 40. And man, it has saved my bacon so many times because I always aim on and that, that extra few inches cause they always go down has saved me so many times. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and for someone who's been around deer behavior and, and has watched that, those drops and, and even documented it. Right. So you're able to see the drop on, on camera allows you, to, allows you to do that. Absolutely. Two inches at 23 at 34 at 40. It'll help you. Gotcha. Okay. So I want to take the Drury outdoors portion of your life out of this next question. Okay. And I I know it's, it's, it's a very big part of your life, but we're going to just hypothetically. Okay. Right now in your life, where are you at in your hunting career? Not your, not the industry portion of it, just as Mark Drury, the hunter. Um, cherishing every moment, you know, you get to a point when you're in your thirties and forties, you think you're going to live forever. And I'm in my mid fifties. So, you know, now I focus in when's the the last moment going to be, when's the last turkey gobble going to be, when's the, the last, you know, arrow going through a deer going to be. And, um, you know, so you learn to cherish things a little bit more and you learn to make sure you're spending time with people that you love the most and your circle gets smaller as you age in terms of your, your friend circle and your hunting circle gets really, really small. So, um, I don't want to spend time, uh, not being productive with people that, that you love the most. Um, and, and also along those lines, we love to give back. We're very, very conscientious about conservation and, and um, we're doing more and more every year in terms of conservation. We're doing so much with Catch a Dream. That's one of our passions, mine and Terry's both, both for in the fundraising and also taking those children hunting. That's very, very important to me. And, you know, I want to make sure that long after we're gone, those, those legacies continue. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, you know, like you said, there, there's going to be a last, a last hunt at some point, right? Whether it's your choice or, or not, right? That, that day is coming. And luckily you got a long time uh, until, you know, knock on wood, that day is, is far down the road, but when Drury outdoors or if it gets passed down or, or whatever, what, what is the Mark Drury legacy? Like what, what are you hoping that what you've done in the hunting community the outdoor community, what are you hoping sticks around and people go, Hey, that, that was a good thing that he did. I think if there's a, a few things that stick around, one would be our commitment to conservation and our commitment to catch a dream. If we wanted something that, you know, went up, you know, lasted long after we were here, 
those two things would be it. Beyond that, the information that we've, I think, helped others in, in a lot of different ways through DeerCast through 13 and kind of, you know, explaining things in a blue collar fashion. Perhaps that stuff will live on, but, you know, uh, chances are it, it will not. I think um, the society that we're in, someone by then will reinvent it and uh, it will be credited to them. And that's OK, because I'm sure the stuff we talk about got talked about back in the 60s and 70s. Um, uh, but that's just, uh, you know, it's just the way it is. But, it, it, you know, I think it's much more important to to leave that fingerprint in what you do on a daily basis and how you treat people and how you make them feel more so than it is worrying about having uh, much of a legacy after you're gone. So we, we worry more about day in and day out tasks and, and making people feel good than, than we do about after we're gone. Yeah. So your first Turkey ever shot, no camera behind you, right? Uh, you were jacked about that. Is there a day where, Mark Drury does not have a camera following him into the woods anymore. You know, maybe, I mean, who knows based on today? No. 10 years from now, maybe, um, you know, who knows what, what's going to occur with social media, with the networks, you know, will the economic model that we currently have to have a, you know, viable business, will it still be viable 10 years from now? I don't know. So, um, I know one thing, I won't be hunting by myself. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's so boring to be out there alone. I, <laughs> I love my, I love conversations with Taylor when we're together or Terry or Wade or Perry or Josh or Carson or whoever, whoever I'm with. I, I love sitting there shooting the breeze and, and talking hunting and talking strategy and turkey hunting together as a group. So maybe there won't be a camera, but I think the feelings will still be the same. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So they call you specifically like the mad scientist. And you've already talked a little bit about the, the analyzation of data that revolves around deer behavior, deer movement, mature, mature whitetails. Tell me something about deer behavior that most people you feel overlook or don't absorb when they're spending time in the woods hunting. Um, perhaps mood, um, you know, to many, I think a deer is a deer is a deer is a deer, but if you watch them closely, they will give you body language and, and signs as to whether they're in a great mood that day or a not so great mood that day. And that often revolves around what they're dealing with from a weather standpoint. And it's not just what what weather they're dealing with that day it's what they've dealt with the last two days and what's about to come and that's one of the the secrets to our algorithm it doesn't just look at the hour by hour it's looking backwards and it's looking forwards you know like what front's coming what front just passed or whatever the case may be but deer have different moods and if if you misinterpret that you can make mistakes and not know that you made mistakes in other words i'll give you an example deer's in a funky mood gets out of his bed, walks 30 yards out into the plot, and it's November the 1st, you want to call to him, but you got low pressure, and there's only, you know, 20 minutes of daylight left. He barely got to plot before daylight, and you start calling to him aggressively. So it's a bad mistake, and he's just going to turn around and go back to his bed because he's not in the right mood to come. Yeah, That's just one example, but mood is everything. Just like with sales, like our people – you catch people in the right mood, you can make a lot of things happen. If you're trying to negotiate with your parents or with your spouse or with a <laughs> with someone you're selling a product to, you catch them in a bad mood, you're not going to get anywhere with them. So uh, deer the same way, and I, I think their, their mood gets misinterpreted. The other thing that I see hunters commonly do is underappreciate their ability, the deer's ability to catch you and react to you and you never know they did it. They seldom, if ever, let, let you know that you made a mistake. And that's the hardest part about deer hunting because people will take terrible routes to their stand. They'll put their wind in a terrible position and they're affecting the deer herd and they're wondering why they're not having success. But the deer aren't letting you know they're being affected. They get out of there without knowing it. They, they smell you and walk off without snorting. You know, so I think people underestimate 
the uh, whitetail's ability to stay alive. They're really, yeah. really good at living. They're really good at living. Yeah, I learned that lesson the hard way several, several times when I would. Uh, one specific example would be uh, I'm, I'm hunting this little fence line in between a marsh and a bedding area, and I rattle, and I see this buck stand up out of his bed in this marsh area, and, you know, I'm thinking he's going to come right to me, yet he he's down when maybe 120, 150 yards catches my scent and just walks the other way. Right. So if that was the timber, I would have never seen him do that. But I was, I was in an area where I had a good visual and that the, and I never saw him again. Right. He, He didn't come back to that area because he busted me and he knew there was intrusion. And I, and I said to myself, and I said to myself, I'm never going to see him again. And sure enough, I didn't. Yep, exactly. I almost never blind rattle. Yeah. Yeah. Unless not, not anymore. Got, unless I've got a sure enough, uh, unless it's a body of water that's a thousand acres on my downwind <laughs> side, you know, like, or a big pasture or something. But they, they, uh, I just don't, the, the older I get and the more I hunt, the less I call. However, the more effective I am when I call. It's about calling at the right times, catching them in the right mood. And knowing that the situation is one where he should come in and approach approach you in a way that you can get a shot. So I call yeah. less, but I have more success when I do call. Yeah. So this uh, this this deer behavior thirteen thing that you guys talk about is there a phase of the thirteen that is your absolute favorite? You know, you talk about deer behavior, deer mood when you just enjoy not necessarily hunting these animals but observing them oh man it's pre-lock for me october 25th or 26th through the 31st of october that's it that's the that one and then also greener pastures which is like september 25th through october the 12th those two are just they're it's rough on the deer i mean they're they're not with the does yet they're in a daylight walking pattern for the most part and uh, those big mature bucks, they're they're at their weakest right then. I also enjoy the I also enjoy the, the late season. I love the first ten days of January, or really Christmas on into the tenth of January. If you get the right weather, goodness gracious, is that is that enjoyable to sit there and see you know a multitude of deer as opposed to peak of the rut where you're hoping to see a few deer. Uh, that time of the year, our, our big destination food sources really pay off and we see a lot of deer. Yeah. Well, man, I just want to say, Mark, I really appreciate you, especially on your vacation, taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, chit chat with me for a while. Good luck this uh, upcoming season, man. And I, I, I hope you feel every tag you have, not only yours, but uh, the friends and the family as well. Man, I appreciate that, Dan. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, if anybody wants to learn more about DeerCast, you can check it out at uh, DeerCast.com or just listen to what you're about to hear here at the tail end of this. Terry and I really do break it down, and I think you'll see what I'm talking about. We focused on the white-tailed deer hunter, and there's there's a bunch of tools in there that nobody else has, and they're, they're specific to the white-tailed hunter. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Mark, man. Really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and BS with us for a little bit. Make sure that you guys, right after this outro, stick around and listen to, I believe it's a seven minute audio clip of them talking about uh, DeerCast. Uh, huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen, man. I, I really appreciate it. And and with, with all sincerity, I hope each of you accomplish your goal huge thunder crack right now in the in the background here but uh i hope you all accomplish your goals i hope you all you know find success in the woods in your own way shape and form um and and just be positive uh positive begets more positive begets more positive and then next thing you know that positive energy snowballs and everybody that is around you is happy as well and when everybody's happy man it just makes for a better time and a better life. And uh, I don't know. I'm just a huge fan of being happy. I think we all should. So um, huge shout out to Tethered Wasp, Hunt Stand, and Vortex. Go leave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Last but not least, man, good vibes in. 
good vibes out, wear your safety harness, and we'll talk to you next time. Welcome everybody to DeerCast. Here are just some of the new features that's included in this newest version of DeerCast. I think you're gonna enjoy it. It was created for you. The DeerCast forecast, it is an algorithm that interprets 13 different weather variables across 13 different phases in an hour by hour basis out to 14 days if you have that particular level. You know, it's one thing to have the whitetail predictor as far as the movement's concerned. It's another thing to have the DeerCast mapping feature within your app. Don't look at DeerCast maps as just another app with maps. It's really all about how the environment and the weather affects you and your daily decisions. Not only how it affects the deer and how they're going to move, but how it affects you specifically what rain can mean for access, what rain can mean for overall herd health, what wind direction and speed can do and make you change your access into a stand or perhaps where you're going to sit that day, what the heat does, what the departure from normal temperature does, whether it's warmer than normal or colder than normal and how much warmer and colder it is than normal. All of these different elements wrapped into one app all of a sudden takes you to the next level you still have to make the decisions in the field, but we're giving you all of the playbook and all of the help we can here within DeerCast. And I'll say it now, and I'm gonna say it many times, it's focused on you, it's laser focused on helping you become a better deer hunter. You can set your waypoints. You can create and manage all of your food plots. You can measure distances. You can access parcel data, check the wind. You can record GPS tracks and much, much more. With our range station feature, you can accurately place range stations throughout your hunting areas to see an estimated amount of rain that gets estimated off of reports and also the radar when it goes through. You literally can place those rain stations on any parcel, any farm, different states, wherever you want to put it, you can find out more information about how much rain you got, the historical data, and also the future and what exactly you got on that particular parcel. In DeerCast, we now have wind check which kind of gives you a cone depending on the wind speed or wind velocity. And this cone will give you a really, really good idea uh, how wide it is or how wide that spray is, how wide your scent is. And it will also tell you what direction it's coming from and where it's heading to. And in addition to that, based on each individual wind speed, you're going to get tips on what that wind might be doing in your location. You can now take wind and look at it over the next several days. You can look at it over the next 24 hours, or if you choose, you can go all the way out to five days. And if you scroll along the timeline, it's going to show you changes, not only in direction, but also speed. As you see the speed change, you'll also see the cone change. There are optimum speeds that give you the best cone and the best, most consistent wind direction. There are other speeds that are gonna throw you fits. We give you tips about that within the written part of the app. But if you look at it through time, it can help you make better decisions now and in the future. Well, another fantastic feature is really trying to calculate area. Whether you're hunting 20 acres or 2,000 acres, and you've got a quarter acre food plot or a 10 acre food plot, it's always nice to know the exact area of that particular parcel or that little food plot. It can also help save you money because you know exactly how much you need when it comes to chemicals and uh, fertilizer and seed. It's a very invaluable tool. And once again, it's focused on the white-tailed deer hunter. Well, here's another feature in path tracking that we felt extremely, extremely essential. This is one that we use on a pretty regular basis, whether we're shed hunting, whether you're tracking or trailing a deer, whether you're wanting to share with someone else access to and from that stand or where you park your vehicle, or maybe you're putting in a food plot and you wanna know just exactly how far you've walked. It's a necessary item that we feel is extremely helpful to each and every hunter. When it comes to waypoints, we really focused in on the ones that we think we need the most to mark out exactly different spots, different strategies, different thoughts when it comes to deer hunting. Whether you're looking, you know, wanting to place where your tree stands are at or where your cameras are at or where your truck's at or where you found a shed antler last spring. You know, all of those, there's a concise library of purpose-built waypoints that you can apply. Well, here's a feature I think that the more you use it, the more you want to use it. 
and that's parcel data. Whether you're just trying to gain access to new ground or you just want to find out who the landowner is that's adjacent to you, you'll see property lines along with the owner's name, tax address, county, and acreage. The measurement tool is just one other feature within DeerCast Maps that is absolutely essential as far as we're concerned, as far as hunters. So we use it all the time to try and establish different distances when you don't have a rangefinder with you. Here's another unique feature, and that's our radar. Not only do we give you current, we also give you some predictive radar as well so that you can see what's coming. Couple that with your rain station, and all of a sudden you've got this one-two punch as it pertains to precipitation. And with our Doppler radar, you'll be able to see what's coming, stay safe, and also know when those deer might be moving on the backside of that front. Deer cast track, you take the cursor show exactly on the anatomically correct deer where you think you hit, and then our library will backfill based on the spot you chose on that deer. Pull it up, and then it will go into great length. We've got four seasoned veterans that talk about how long you should wait, what vitals you may or may not have hit, and then really, all we're wanting to do is help you recover that animal. Well, here's a feature, the DeerCast community. I like to call it our news feed. It's always fun to see what someone else is harvesting what they did with their family, their children. There's an article every single day that goes up. It may be the most advanced and most educational news feed. Check it out within DeerCast. It's the best news feed out there for whitetail hunters. Our journal section is unique. We take our content and get it to you, the viewer, generally within about 24 to 36 hours. So it is real-time hunting action from the field within our journals. It's rather raw, but it's edited in a hurry and it's put up in a hurry so that you get to watch it in a hurry. It's just a, a great feature within the app. This is one you'll enjoy. Our fan share feed, annually we get 30 to 50,000 different submissions. You can go in there and look at the success everyone else is having. Submit your stuff, make comments on others, get really interactive with other members within the app. We make it about you. We want you to tell us how you're doing. That's why we have that particular feature within DeerCast. You know, it's just one of many in this newest version of DeerCast 2.0. So uh, sit back and enjoy them all because they're coming at you. They were created for you.